You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? It is good to be with you. Anybody else with me? Is Sunday not the highlight of your week? I love this. And specifically what we are about to do, friends, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. If you do not have a Bible, maybe you don't even own a Bible, uh, every week we have these blue and white Bibles that are in the back. Feel free to grab those and that's our gift to you, all right? We wholeheartedly believe that the Bible will change your life. It is so, so engaging, so interesting and transformative. And so if you need a Bible, don't, don't feel like you're stealing it. That's our gift to you, all right? So Mark chapter 11. In 1937, An 1800s German fairy tale inspired a cutting-edge animated film which immortalized these words. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all? In this story, we see that a queen is consumed with fear that her stepdaughter's beauty would compete with her own. And so every morning, the queen would look at the mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? You see, as long as the mirror told her what she wanted to hear, all was good. As long as the mirror confirmed to her what she hoped was true, all was good. But you see, the story goes that one day, the answer changed. There was another in the land more fair. There was another more beautiful, made so by the power of love. And one day, the mirror told the queen the truth. But she couldn't handle the truth. Can you? And so she set out to destroy her innocent stepdaughter, whose name was Cinderella. No, Snow White. That's right. I haven't taken Disney Princess 101 in a long time. It was freshman year of college, all right? Got to get those credits. Don't judge me, okay? I'm just curious. If you could purchase a mirror like that, would you? Come on, Amazon.com. You can put it in your cart for $19.99. How many of you would own a magic mirror on the wall? That'd be scary, right? What if, what if there was a magic mirror? What, what, if, what if there was something that you could purchase, but friends, this mirror didn't reflect your beauty? What if there was a mirror that perfectly reflected your heart? Mirror, mirror, small yet smart. What's the motive of my heart? Mirror, mirror, right and true. Why do I do what I do? What if there was a magic mirror that perfectly showed you the intentions and motives of your heart. Might that be a little bit scary for somebody? I don't want that mirror. Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he said it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I say it this way, my ability to lie to myself is profound. Even my, best, even my best deeds on my best days can still be tainted with 
ulterior motives, can't they? Mirror, mirror, small yet true. Why do I do what I do? You see, here at East Point Church, we're in this, in this, it's a series, it's a teaching series, but really this is a season. This is a season where this fall, we are watching Jesus arrive in Jerusalem for the last week of his life. And as he arrives in the capital city, as he speaks to the people in the town, as he speaks to the religious leaders, as he speaks to us, we realize that Jesus does not have a mirror because he is a mirror. Jesus has this way of, of coming into our lives and, and, he, and he reflects and he shows us the true intentions of our hearts. He has this unique ability to show us what's really going on here beyond the words, beyond the actions, and down to the level of our intentions. And as you could probably imagine, this ability has mixed reviews. Can I show you? Do you want to see it? Mark chapter 11, I want us to start in verse 27 and look at what Jesus does here, all right? This is what it says. Speaking of Jesus and his disciples, remember they're staying at an Airbnb outside of town across the Kidron Valley on the Mount of Olives, all right? And so here's what it says. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? You see, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Pause right here. First thing we see in our passage is that when people reject his authority, Jesus reveals their motives. When people reject his authority, Jesus reveals their motives. We saw last week that Jesus has come to town and he is confronting the religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. Jesus has held up a mirror to their hearts. You see, he came into the temple and, and he challenged their systems. He has called out the corruption of their practices. He is speaking to their heart. And what's their response? They don't like the mirror and so they challenge him back. They question his authority. What are your credentials? What rabbi did you study under who gives you the authority to speak like this? Who are the people, on the references on your resume? Let me see your degree, Jesus. In other words, who do you think you are coming at me like this? And so you see, Jesus knows that this is not a genuine question. Jesus knows that the heart behind these questions, he's actually, they're actually making statements in the form of questions. And here's a cool little point of order. Whenever somebody in your life asks you, a, makes a statement in the form of a question, how many of you know don't give them an answer? Right? When somebody's making a statement in the form of a question, don't give them an answer because it's not a genuine question. Respond with a question. And that's what Jesus does here. 
And so he asks a question that is about to reveal and expose the motives of their hearts. And so he goes, okay. How about this? How about this? I will tell you the source of my ministry if first you tell me the source of John's, John the Baptist's ministry. Was his ministry from heaven or from man? In other words, was his platform, was his influence and ministry, was it God-given or man-made? You tell me the source of John's ministry, and then I'll tell you the source of my ministry. And so we get some comedy here, because look what they do. They, they huddle up. They go, time out, Jesus. Give us a moment. And they huddle up in this holy huddle, right, or unholy huddle maybe. And they're sitting here, and, and, and they're like, notice this. At no point in the conversation do they actually consider, what do we actually believe? Right? Like, they're going to come up with an answer for Jesus, and at no point does it come out of their minds, out of their mouths. So what do you actually think is true? What do we truly believe? No, instead, they treat this, they're more concerned with winning the argument like it's a chess match. Where are my chess players in the room? Woo, let's go, nerds. Yes, I love chess. I was in chess club. Every time I tell people that, their respect for me just goes down a notch, you know? They're like, oh, that guy, you know? I love me some chess. And so they come together and they start to play chess. And they go, well, what will this answer do for my approval rating? And what if, if I make this, how will he then defend against that and ask the next question? If we do this, and they're more concerned with winning the argument, how will this affect my control? What will this do on my influence with the people? How do we defend against Jesus' next move? How do we keep him from winning? So they think through the moves, right? All the chess moves are flowing through their head. The clock is running and they reason and go, okay, well, if we make this move, if we say that John was from God, if we say his ministry was God-given from heaven, well, then that'll make Jesus, Jesus will make us look foolish because he'll go, why didn't you believe him? So we can't say that move. Uh, but if we, say, if we say it's from man, then man, the people are going to riot and our approval ratings will go down because John was People believe John was from God, so wait, I can't maintain my influence and disagree with the people, and I'm not going to get voted on, you know. And so they're looking at all these moves, and they realize it is a lose-lose situation. And so they forfeit. They forfeit. There are no good moves. They don't make a move, and so Jesus doesn't need to make a move. And he goes, okay, well, neither will I tell you. You won't tell me John's source. I won't tell you my source. They don't make a move. But guys, do they need to make a move? Like, do we not already see what their motives are? Did Jesus not already make their point? Because as they considered their moves, they were revealing their motives. They're not coming to Jesus asking the truth. They're coming to Jesus to silence a threat. To these people, Jesus is a threat. They reject him because he's a threat to their way of life. He's a threat to their preferences. He is a threat to their control to do what they want to do. East Point Church, can I just tell you, friends, Jesus is a threat. Jesus will challenge the status quo of your life. Jesus will show up and he will hold up the mirror to your hearts because he has arrived to lead you as Lord, not to offer tips and tricks as a little coach. 
Jesus isn't here to just maybe offer you a few suggestions that might make, might make your life more reasonable. No, he comes and he says, I'm going to show you a new mode of existence. I'm going to show you a new kingdom that you can live in, and I will rule and reign as Lord. Follow me. That's a threat to our preferences and pathologies. And so in that moment, East Point, when Jesus holds up the mirror, when he puts his finger on parts of your life, when he says, I want that too, and he upsets the apple cart, do you bust out the chessboard? Do you become more concerned with saving face and preserving your preferences? Do you become more concerned with winning the argument against Jesus? Or do you respond, yes, Lord? Because there's only two answers, right? We're either going to say, yes, Lord, you win. Knock the king over, right? You checkmated me. You win, or we'll respond like them, and we'll go, who do you think you are? And I just want to tell you, because I love you, let him checkmate you. Let him checkmate you, friends, I promise, because what you lose is actually no loss at all compared to the surpassing, incomparable riches of what you gain in Christ. What you lay down, the preferences that you lose are nothing compared to what you gain by the hand of him who laid down his life for you. You can trust him. His ways are better, and he loves you. So let him checkmate you. Let him do it. That's clearly not what the the leaders did. And so Jesus has already exposed their motives. And now story time, because he's going to illustrate their motives. How many of you love a good story? Yeah, you guys ready for story time? Ooh, me too. Grab your popcorn, grab your sodas, because we are about to hear a story from the greatest storyteller in human history. Are you ready? Don't lie to me. Are you ready? Let's look at the story. Chapter 12 now, next chapter, verse 1, Jesus tells this story. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants, and give the vineyard to others. Let's pause there. We started off this message. They were asking him, who are you? Where are you from? What's your identity? What's your authority? And we realize here that the story of the vineyard reveals the identity of the son. The story of the vineyard reveals 
the identity of the son. And so let's do this. Let's break down this story. Let's just go like scene by scene. And I wonder if together we could figure out what the parable is talking about. This is a pretty simple parable. It's thinly veiled. Jesus is being pretty clear. So can we do that together? Let's lean forward, look at your text, and let's see if we can figure out what Jesus means through this story. All right? And so we go back to the beginning, and it starts when a thoughtful man planted a valuable vineyard. He didn't buy a vineyard. He didn't throw one together in his free time. No, it says that he, he planted it, and he had this well-intentional, thoughtful plan. Built it with his own hands, with great care and investment. He planted the grapes. And then, he, and then he carefully built a wall around it to protect it. And then he dug a wine press because he was looking forward to the day that his, his vineyard would produce sweet, sweet wine. And so he digs the wine press and he builds a tower, a valuable enterprise. He has great plans for this vineyard. He intends for it to be fruitful. And when his plan comes to fruition... He's going to enjoy the produce of his labor. And so he builds this valuable vineyard. And then what does he do? He entrusts it to some land managers. All right? He gives it to tenants to watch over his precious vineyard. And so if you applied for this position and you got it, you know, your job description might say things like, watch over the grapes, prune the vine, Care for this enterprise as if it was your own. Help this thing thrive under your careful management. And at the top of your job description, the one sent, the one word job description, let's say it all together, stewardship. That's their job. Care for this operation in my place. Carry out my will under your watchful eye. I am entrusting this to you. How many of you have children in daycare or elementary school? Every time you drop off your most precious commodity, you are saying to those teachers and administration, you are stewards, entrust the, my most valuable thing. Watch over it, for I will be back, and I want my child in one piece, right? Stewardship. All right, let's pause there. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, you'll actually realize as you read the Old Testament, you realize Jesus I'm not going to call it plagiarizing because it's not, but Jesus is using a pretty common Old Testament metaphor. Nobody in Jesus' audience would be sitting there going, what is he talking about? A vineyard? We've never heard of this. No, no, no. He's actually quoting Isaiah 5. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. Sound familiar? Jesus. Plagiarizing Isaiah 5. No, no, he's making a point. All the people knew what he was talking about. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. Israel is God's vine. God is building a people. And just like the vineyard, he chose Israel. He chose Abraham when it was nothing. And from nothing, from scratch with his bare hands, he built a people for himself, a family of faith. Hey, East Point Church, let me tell you, God is still building a people. 
God is still grabbing people whose lives are barren and bare. And from scratch, he is making you into something precious. Family of God, you're his. The planting of the Lord. He went to great lengths to plant you, to make you something that you weren't. You are God's handiwork. He has great plans for your life. And under his leadership, according to his plan, under his direction, his plan for you is to be fruitful like a vineyard. To overflow with a sweet, sweet wine. Your life is like sweet, sweet wine under the direction of the Lord. And his plan is to enjoy it for his glory. You're the planting of the Lord. And so he gives this precious vineyard, he entrusts it to tenants who prove evil. You see, when the time comes, the owner sends his servants to go and collect some of the wine. But what do they do? Here's where Isaiah 5 takes a twist. Here's where everybody in the audience who goes, yeah, we know, how, we know how the story goes. They sit up and they go, what? That's not in the story. Because the servant, they beat him and they sent him away. I want you to imagine it's 3 o'clock and you're picking up your kid from daycare. And you say, I'm here to retrieve what is mine. And they beat you and send you away empty-handed. Friends, I don't know if you look good in orange, but I do. And I'm not afraid to wear it if somebody's going to do that to my child. You know what I'm talking about, okay? So they send a servant and they beat the servant and say, get out of here. And the owner goes, no, no, this, this must be a misunderstanding. This, there's no way, that, like, there's, there's just no way, right? This, this has to be a misunderstanding. And so he sends another servant. And this time they are increasingly more violent because they strike him on the head. It's a message could be a mortal blow. It says here, they treated him shamefully, which adults in the room, I think Jesus is actually talking about a heinous form of abuse, okay? They send him away. And still, yet again, he sends a third servant. And this time, there is no misunderstanding their intentions, because when the third servant comes, they kill him. Shocked, right? This is, this story got dark quickly. And we're meant to be shocked by the actions of the tenants. But Jesus is such a master storyteller that he's telling this in such a way that you should be equally shocked, not just by the action of the tenants. How many people in the room are shocked by the action of the owner? After how many times? You're still sending people, the owner continues. It says he sends many others. You see, we see that the tenants are surprisingly evil, but we also see that the owner is radically patient, unimaginably gracious, and he gives them chance after chance after chance to respond well and to do what they are called to do. Steward my vineyard. So what does this talk about? Well, if Israel is the vineyard, then the servants sent to them in the Old Testament are the prophets. You see, just like the owner sent many servants, God in the Old Testament, he sent messenger after messenger, prophet after prophet to Israel's leader with direction and correction. But 
just like the tenants in the story. Israel's leaders beat and killed God's prophets. Hebrews chapter 11 says this about the prophets. Some of them were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And yet God sends prophets after prophet, servant after servant, chance upon chance upon chance. How many of you know that God is unimaginably patient? How many messengers did it take for you to get it? (laughs) How many servants in your life before you, you said, I get it, God, right? We don't serve a baseball God. Three strikes, you're out of there. We serve a t-ball God. Just keep swinging, kid, until you get it. You know what I'm talking about? Friends, I want you to know this morning that you are not too far gone. You, are not, you have not done too much to respond to the patient calling of God. As long as it is called today, as long as you're hearing my voice, as long as you're reading this, God says, come. Come, turn to me. Respond to the owner. And so this radically patient unimaginably long-suffering owner, he does something that will blow your mind. He does something that I don't even know if I know how to do. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. Talk about grace, right? Sometimes you just need to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. What a grace in that. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. And he goes, you know, I do have one more person. I do have one more person I could send. I, I mean, I do have my beloved son. You know, they they disrespected my servants, but maybe they needed somebody higher up the org chart. Maybe they needed somebody with a little bit more authority than a messenger. Surely they'll respect my son, right? I mean, this is the heir. He is as good as the owner because I'm leaving all of this vineyard to him anyway. And so surely if my son shows up, they'll respond better. How's that work out, friends? How's that work out? As they see the sun come, their motives become clear. And they say, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. There it is, right? We just realized in those words, we just realized that their sin is not stubbornness. Their primary problem in their chest is not a lack of respect. No, no, the source of their evil, their fundamental issue is that they want to be the owner. They want to be in charge. These are people who see their job description and they go, you know what, I want to, I want to raise. I'm not interested in stewardship. I'm aiming for ownership. And instead of tending to what's been entrusted to them for the benefit of the owner, they are taking advantage of it for their own benefit. They have ignored 
the owner's request. They have denied the owner's right. They have rejected the owner's authority, and they are about to kill the owner's son. <sighs> Let me just take a moment. So those of you in this room who are leaders, right, God has called you to lead people. For those of you in this room who are parents, God has entrusted to you his precious souls and his children. May we never confuse stewardship for ownership. We are all interim leaders. We are all interim parents. I am the interim lead pastor of East Point Church. By the grace of God, I hope I get to serve in that role for a long time. But inevitably, I will eventually pass this on. And when he comes back, we will say as leaders, we will say as parents, what you have entrusted to me, I have cared for to the best of my abilities. Enjoy the planting of the Lord. May we never confuse ownership for stewardship. It's ready for you, Lord. Enjoy. And so what do they do? They're not acting as stewards, and so they seize the son. They kill the son, and they dump the body outside of the vineyard. Shameful death. The end. The end. That's how Jesus ends the story. An abrupt ending. He he stops telling the story there, and this abrupt ending is hanging in the air. And you're just sitting here going, whoa. He doesn't continue the narrative. Instead, he gives the story stick to the religious leaders. And he goes, you continue the story. You play it out in your own mind. What do you think the owner of the vineyard will do? Stops the story and gets them thinking. What will the patient, long-suffering, grace-giving, chance-after-chance owner do to them when he's killed the son? And every single one of us in this room, we can complete the story in our minds. And every single one of them can complete the stories in their mind. And Jesus confirms what they're, what they're thinking. And he goes, yep, he's not just going to fire them. He's going to destroy them. You can't mishandle this sacred trust and think you'll avoid the owner forever. You're right, religious leaders. You're right, East Point Church. You cannot reject the son and still think that you're cool with the owner So that's the story. And does anybody realize what sneaky Jesus just did? (laughs) Do you guys see it? They asked him at the beginning, so where are you from? What's your authority? Who are you? What are your credentials? And because they are suffering with hard hearts and blind eyes and deaf ears, they may have not heard what he was putting down, but he just told them, hey, if you're paying attention, I'm the beloved son. You want us to know who I was? Listen to the story. I'm the heir. I'm coming not from my own uh, initiative. I'm coming from God. And you, Israel, you leaders, are the tenants who have rejected prophet after prophet after prophet, the last of whom was named John the Baptist. Hello. And now at the end of this prophet parade stands before you God's heir, the beloved son. I'm here. So the story ends, and the question that's hanging in the air, the question that Jesus is putting to the leaders, the question that he's putting to you, how will you treat the son? What's your response to the beloved son? What's your response to the heir? 
He says, religious leaders, will you receive me or will you reject me like this story? And if you reject me, if you kill me by your own admission, play the movie forward, what will the owner do to you? You can't reject the son and be cool with the owner. And so let me just pause there for a second. I, I don't know where you are in your, in your journey or your faith history. You may not even believe this book, right? Now. And that's okay. Like we, we have lots of friends like that, and we're all on a journey. But let me just tell you this. The Bible does not allow you to believe in God, but not rock with his son. It's just not an option. The Bible does not allow you to believe in God, to, to claim to be cool with the owner, and yet you completely reject his son. Like that, for wherever you are, that's just not an option. You can't do that any more than the tenants could reject the son and still, not, and still claim the owner. You see, God the Father, the creator of everyone and everything, the builder of this family of faith, he is doing all of this. He is bringing this all together, and his plan for eternity is to gift it to his heir, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who will rule and reign over the gift as the king of the universe. Psalm 2, my Lord said to my Lord, sit and I will give the nations as your footstool. You can't be cool with the owner and reject the son. And so as you consider your response to Jesus, as the religious leaders consider their response to Jesus, Jesus busts out his phone and he goes, oh, look at this. This is timely. Look at my verse of the day on you version. Hey, as you guys consider your response to me, I think this might be a timely psalm for you to consider. And he goes on to quote Psalm 118. He goes, have you not read this scripture? It says this, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. As you consider your response to Jesus, religious leaders, as you consider your response to Jesus, East Point Church, Jesus goes, huh, this is a timely verse. Have you not read that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. To reject the son is to ruin the foundation. To reject the son is to ruin the foundation of your life, he says. Because have you not read that the stone the builders rejected ended up being the most important stone of all? Hey, it's like when you go to Ikea. How many people love building things from Ikea? Yes, said no one ever. I know, right? And so you get, and it's like easy, 60-minute estimated time. And I'm there four days later going like, why am I doing this? And you realize that what you're building is actually impossible because at the very beginning, remember all those extras? Turned out they weren't extras. Remember all those duplicates? And you're like, oh, this is just extra, but I have them all here. I'm doing this now. And you throw them away. Turns out that the piece you threw away was the linchpin, and it held the whole thing together. And he says to them here, the piece that the religious leaders thought they could discard, the piece that they thought they can throw over their shoulder, turns out to be the foundational block upon which it all stands. Jesus Christ. Church, think about this scripture Religious leaders, think about this scripture because you are about to reject the stone at your own peril. He says to them with all earnestness, ignore the son at your own risk. For to reject the son is to destroy the foundation of your whole life. 
And so church, I just say this, as we build our life, how many of you know we're building something, right? Every single one of you in this room, you're building something. You're building a life. You're building a family. You're you're, you're building a, a community. You are building something that you hope, I would imagine, matters. Something that is stable under the weathering storms of this life. You're you're building something, I would imagine, that you want to be beneficial, right? You want people to enjoy the fruit of this thing that you're building. You want to be the kind of guy that people say, man, I love doing life with that dude because it's just good. I love spending time with that family. What they've built is just life-giving. We're all building something. And so as you build your life, as you lay stone upon stone, as you figure out career, as you figure out family, as you figure out all these major decisions that you're building up in your life, don't neglect the cornerstone. Don't throw out the most important foundational rock upon which everything else will build. To reject the sun is to ruin the foundation. So build your life on Jesus. Build your life on Jesus. And so he finishes the story, finishes our passage. And I love how it says, they perceived he was talking about them. You're like, no duh, right? You think? Who is he talking about, right? They get it. They know he's talking to them. And so what do they do? They do exactly what he said they would do in the story. They seek to arrest him. They start plotting to destroy him. And we realize that the end of the story was a prophetic statement about the end of Jesus' life. The son will be killed. The son will be killed. They don't receive the son. They reject him. And as the story made clear, to reject God's son is to reject God's authority. Let me say it this way. To be right with the owner, you've got to receive his son. Hey, friend, to be right with the owner, to be right with God of the universe, to be here with your creator, you got to receive his son. And so how will you respond to the patient, chance after chance, radically gracious God? Will you acknowledge his claim on your life? How do you respond to his son? Will you receive him and say, yes, Lord? Or will you reject him and go, hey, who do you think you are? I want my life to be my own friend, to be right with the owner, receive his son. And as we end here, I, you know, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for some time. How many of you would say you've been a follower of Jesus longer than two years? I'm just curious. All right, wow, great, all right, cool, cool. And the rest of you, welcome to the family, baby. We're just getting started, right? And so you've been in the family of God for a long time and you hear a message like this about receiving Jesus and you go, no, that's not for me. I, yeah, pray for my friend, I get it. Like I already did that in the past. Hear me out. Receiving Jesus is not something you do once in your life and you go, I'm in. Because guess what? Every day of your life, King Jesus will show you your heart. Every day of your life, King Jesus comes in and he puts his finger on parts of your life. He shows you the motives of your soul. And he goes, I want that too. I want that too. I want this aspect of your life. Hey, I have some ideas for this. I'm going to build a tower here. So we need to tear this thing down. And every time King Jesus shows his lordship in your life, you have a choice. Will you receive the son? Will you give him what he's asking? Or will you say, who do you think you are? 
to be right with the owner. Receive his son. Every day, every moment, receive him. And know that anything you've given up, that whatever you think you know better and his plans are worse than yours, I'll just say this in all love, you're wrong. Because he's so much better. And every aspect of my life that I thought I knew better, every aspect of my life that I came to God and said, yo, God, you got to see this, man, because I got some cool plans. Every time I've rolled out my blueprints and I said, look what I'm going to build. And every time he goes, nah, Sam. And I cry because I'm not good in the moment. You know, I cry. And I get frustrated. And every time I surrender, he was right. He was right. I live in Easton, Maryland right now. Because he was right. I'm a follower of Jesus because he was right. I'm a pastor. Do you know I'm a pastor? I preach for a living. They pay me to talk to you. Was that in my blueprint? No, it wasn't. But he was right. Friends, I promise you, follow Jesus. Because he's right. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you so much, God. You're so good. This story just shows us your unimaginable grace. And Lord, as we look at how many times you have called us, as we look at how many times we've been stubborn and rejected you, yet you still call to us. And that by itself, hands down, God, blows our mind. We love you. Thank you for never giving up on us. And Father, I pray for every single one of my friends here this morning that they would respond to the call of Jesus, yes, Lord, that they would allow you to checkmate them, that they would lose their their desire to be owner of their life, and they would realize that they are steward of your plans. Change us, God. May we be fully surrendered to you for your glory. And we know that in the end, that no man, no woman, who leaves brother, father, sister, mother, career, lands, possessions, and wealth, will not fail to receive many times more in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. So we love you, Father. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.